Okay, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for another day just to be alive and to rejoice together as your children, rejoice together in our salvation that you've granted us by grace, and rejoice together in the victories you've given us. We also right now especially pray for Pastor and Joey on their return from India from a successful trip and mission. Uh, we pray for their traveling mercies and their comfort and recovery as they arrive today. Father, most of all, we're thankful and grateful for your son, Jesus Christ. We know without him, we are absolutely nothing. But with him and through him, you've given us everything, everything important as it relates to true life and eternity. Father, help us not take you for granted, your spirit for granted. We thank you that we have a purpose in this life. We thank you that you've saved us. And we thank you for giving us your peace and helping us carry your peace to a lost and dying world. We thank you for the privilege of being a part of it. Father, we ask that you bless this message. Have your spirit guide us and teach us. Tell us what we need to hear today, as long as it's called today. We ask all these things in Christ's precious name, and it's by the power of your spirit we pray. Amen. All right. Peace be with you, part four. I hope you've been enjoying the series. Uh, before we jump in, I have a little update from Pastor and Joey that he emailed me a couple days ago that he wanted me to share with you. Uh, first of all, on the screen is one picture that we shared earlier this week. I hope you can see that. It's a little light in here, huh? But there's Pastor and Joey with uh, Madhava and Nirmala. Thanks, DJ. So let me read the email to you as we share a couple pictures. To my beloved congregation, it's been a wonderfully interesting week filled with many pleasant surprises. Even though, I'm not going to lie, we had no idea what to expect. And in some cases, it was a wait-and-see situation. There have been several times where Joey and I were a tad uncomfortable, but having good hosts in Madhava, Nirmala, and Rajesh has made all the difference. It's been odd not being able to communicate with the vast majority of the hundreds of people we've come into contact with. Uh, talking about the language barrier. But I am wholly convinced that God's will has been done here. Our hosts agree 100%. Day four was a day off from conferences, so we traveled about an hour and a half westward to a small village to meet up with one of the other pastors I had been in contact with since our original search for eligible contacts months back. He had been eagerly awaiting our arrival and hugged and kissed us so many times it was a bit disconcerting, <laughs> LOL. We were met with pomp and circumstance and 12 hungry singing pastors in a very small church, maybe 20 feet by 20 feet. I gave them the lesson on the pastor's example that I had given at the pastor's conference on day one, and they were thrilled. The lead pastor invited us all back to his humble three-room abode, where his wife and two little girls met us with smiles and a meal beyond their means. 
They waited on us with the utmost attention to detail and didn't even eat themselves. Just another humbling experience. I gave the pastor a nice gift, and yup, he hugged and kissed me some more. <laughs> I could just picture it. Day five was the women's conference, where I taught a morning lesson titled God's Divine Design for the Woman, and an afternoon lesson titled The Virtuous Woman. The conference room was overflowing, and the setup crew had to round up just about every last chair in the compound to provide enough seating. There's a picture of the, the main room and how every seat is taken up by the ladies holding up their new Bibles. It was the hottest, most humid day so far. Sweat was literally dripping off of me and Rajesh, my translator, as I taught. And these women sat there from about 10 a.m. to almost 4 p.m. I found them to be, be the most attentive and appreciative audience of all, which doesn't surprise me. I had told Madhava that in my experience, women were the first to submit to authority. So their incredible stamina and desire to soak up the word wasn't surprising to me at all, even given the extreme weather conditions. These women made me choke up just, just watching them and seeing them respond to the messages. And that was before several of them got up and gave feedback and gratitude for our being there. One summarized by saying to her fellow attendees, let us remember this day in May 2017 always, for we can receive Bibles and money any day, but we cannot receive the teaching of the word like this. If you're wondering, yes, I shed a tear at that. How could I not be overwhelmed by such gratitude? I mentioned to Joey after our final conference was completed that the week took on a crescendo in my heart. I'm not sure how to explain it fully, but suffice it to say that as the week carried on, the spirit was more and more evident in the goings-on. By the time we witnessed the women singing praises to the Lord after nearly five hours of extreme physical endurance, my heart was enraptured. So blessed we were there to partake in any of this, never mind all of it. To my congregation, I say wholeheartedly that you, you all have been with us in spirit the whole way. I so want you all to know this. I can't say that you've been the wind beneath our wings, as that is a spirit's job, but I can say that I love you all and that I hope we've done you well as your representatives here in India. If I could impart my experiences magically into your souls, I wouldn't, wouldn't hesitate a moment to do so. Maybe for some of you, the door will open and you'll be next to take flight. I'll be cheering for you if it does. I love you all and I'm looking forward to seeing you soon. Loving Christ, Pastor. P.S. <laughs> Somehow, after much deliberation while I was teaching, Kumar Vijay, the pastor at the remote village church, convinced Joey to take up the mic and say a few words to the gathering afterwards. It was priceless. And I know how they do that. <laughs> Anyway, uh, PPS, the women's conference attendees thought Joey and I were brothers. Not sure if I should be flattered or Joe insulted, or both. <laughs> LOL. <laughs> so, just more uh, wonderful news of the great success that God gave them. Um, just continue to pray for them and for the people out there now that 
uh, it appears we consider family, and um, we'll see pastor's conclusions and, and where the Spirit takes us on that. But what a privilege to share, you know, in spreading God's Word in such a unique way. Um, we're all part of that, uh, both through prayer and giving and, and love and support. So uh, don't take that gift either for granted. Amen? All right. So let's jump back into our series. On the board, Peace Be With You, Part 4. So, our impetus for this series that started last Sunday was this on the board, regarding this phrase, Peace Be With You. The Lord had never said it this way before, and these were the very first words out of His mouth to the disciples after His resurrection. He greeted them with these words three different times in John 20, 19, 21, and 26. So this was why the Spirit even first put this on my heart, to go into this subject with you. And new words come from a new situation. The Lord used these words for the first time in this way. What was the new situation? It was that everything changed spiritually after our Lord's victory on the cross. The spiritual reality of life itself and the relationship between man and God changed permanently because of what happened on the cross and the resurrection. And so this new greeting, peace be with you. Peace was officially and truly made possible. After the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ, sin and death were officially and completely defeated and taken out of the way of man's relationship with God. Colossians 2.14 Turn again in your Bibles to Colossians 2. And we'll start in verse 13. Again, peace was made possible. Why do you think Pastor and Joey could go to India and have a, an instant rapport with all these believers? Because these are the same people like us who have accepted his peace, embraced his peace fully. So now there's this unexplainable rapport and love and, and agreement of mind. It's because of what happened once for all at the cross. Look at Colossians 2, 13 and 14. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Notice he has taken it out of the way permanently. So peace was now truly made possible between God and man. And now we go forward after the resurrection, preaching that peace as Christ did. Another main emphasis that's come out so far in this series is this on the board in Ephesians 2.14a, For he himself is our peace. He himself is our peace. His peace isn't just an idea or concept. It's him. It's clinging to him. It's relating to him that becomes our peace. It's not just some, you can't buy a worldly book about being positive or living in peace. 
and try to manufacture it through the world system. True peace only comes through him, his actual person. And when we rely on him and his presence with us, one day at a time, it's then that we experience his peace. That's the only way. And we noted on Tuesday, the Lord didn't just leave his disciples high and dry after his victory. He didn't just come and say, peace be with you, and then go to heaven right away. Instead, he promised a helper. Regarding receiving his peace, he gave us his very own spirit to be with us every day, to be at our side, he himself being our peace. We saw um, during the week, John 14, 16 through 18, and 25 through 27, where Jesus promised a helper, promised his spirit as the helper. And also Romans 8, 9 through 11, and 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12, revealing to us the intimacy between this spirit that he sent and himself. And really how they're one and the same. Believers have been given the Holy Spirit, which is actually the Spirit of Christ Himself. Don't lose sight of that intimacy. Turn again to Romans 8, verse 9. Who's got the creaky chair? Sheesh. <laughs> Didn't know he had rocking chairs in here. Romans 8, 9. So, again, he promised us the Holy Spirit. He didn't leave us high and dry. But remember, the Holy Spirit is his spirit. They're one and the same. And this should increase your peace also, your awareness that Jesus himself is with you and in you every single day as a believer. Now, whether you take advantage of that, whether you uh, lean on him and acknowledge his presence even, that's, that's your problem in a way, right? whether you decide to be arrogant and forget about him or get in the way, which we all fail in this area, but it's a day-to-day thing. The fact is he is with you and in you, and it's actually his own spirit. So notice how he uses um, the spirit interchangeably in different terminology here. Romans 8, 9. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. See how the terms are interchangeably used? No man can ever fully explain the Trinity in this life, okay? So let's stop being frustrated that we can't fully understand the Trinity. How about just accept it? There's a supernatural thing going on here. And when God is with you, Jesus is with you. And when Jesus is with you, His Spirit is with you. And when His Holy Spirit is with you, Jesus is with you. Can we just accept that as, as with the faith of a child and be like, this is supernatural. So the very spirit of Christ is with us. 
That's the wonderful news that you give us peace every day. Go to 1 Peter 1, verse 10. First Peter 1.10. So I hope when you think of any of the members of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, or the Spirit, you think of them as being the same. Even though they are three persons in one. That's all I got. Right? How do you explain it? Can't explain it. But they are they are the same because of verses like this. Look at first Peter 1.10. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. Who is Peter talking about here? He's talking about the prophets of the Old Testament before Jesus showed up to us as a man. And he said the Spirit of Christ was with them, telling them what to write about what he himself would go through one day. In verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, in these things which now you have, have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So this is another reason we should have peace. This God, this amazing, supernatural creator of heaven and earth, is with us and in us by his Spirit. So the Spirit also gave a very important point last Sunday on the board regarding our daily bread. We can't live off of yesterday's spiritual food, yesterday's Bible reading, or yesterday's Bible lesson. Our soul needs fresh spiritual food, nutrition every day, just as God designed our bodies to need food daily. There should be no mystery in this, right? You see what a simple, beautiful analogy this is? God's like, do you need food every day? Yeah. Okay, it's the same thing. You need spiritual food every day, or you're going to be malnutritioned. You're going to be suffering. You're going to be weak. You wonder why you don't have his peace? This is one reason. This is a main reason, I believe. So, <laughs> somebody needs to change their chair back there. Oh, my God. Anyway, um, this is a main reason that we don't have his peace. We don't eat his daily bread. We get a little bit arrogant. We rely on yesterday's spiritual food for today. Do you rely on yesterday's meal for today? Some of you are like, you can never make it without going three meals a day, right? So Exodus 16, 14 through 21 was our great example of that, how we need his nutrition every day. Even if it's just a short Bible reading in the morning, you are allowing God to speak to you that day through his word. Why don't you have peace? Maybe that's why. You won't even take five minutes to read one chapter in the Bible and see what God is saying to you. All right, suffer. <laughs> That's what your loving father says. All right, suffer. Try to do it on your own again today. Be miserable again today. Go ahead. 
He's given us everything we need, right, on a platter. But he won't force you to embrace his way, his provisions. He won't force you to eat his food. But when you read a little bit every day in the Word, or you listen to a lesson, or whatever your, your you know, emphasis is today, which might change day to day, but whatever it is, if you're taking in his Word every day, you're allowing God to speak to you personally. That's how you should be looking at it. Because in all supernatural ways, His Spirit works out the right message you needed to hear today. And that happens over and over in our lives if you submit to the Word. So this daily spiritual food, this daily communion with God, that's really what it is. That's what brings peace to our hearts. And remember, Jesus said those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth in John 4, 24. So a little bit more regarding our daily bread. His word sustains us and gives us peace. And it's meant to be eaten one day at a time. Otherwise, we'd explode. Literally. Can you eat? Can you say, this came up on Thursday, can you say, you know what, I think I'm going to eat enough today to last me for five days, so I don't have to eat the next four days. Good luck with that, right? Impossible. And so it is spiritually. Uh, You can't plow through half the Bible in 12 hours as fast as you can to get it all in and expect to receive what you need for that day. He he doesn't expect us to be... um, I don't know what the word is. He knows our weakness. He knows we can only take so much. And so he says, eat my meal today, whatever the word is that is given to you today. And let that give you nutrition and strength. So maybe this is why the Lord said what he did in Matthew chapter 6. Go again to Matthew six twenty-five. What's the opposite of peace? Worry and anxiety, right? So if you're experiencing worry and anxiety every day, maybe you need to change something in your life. You know, maybe, maybe you're not submitting the way you should be submitting to his word and his spirit. Listen, we all have bad days. We all have bad moments, bad hours, whatever. But we're talking about Are you taking advantage of the provisions that God's given you to live a peaceful life with Him? So while we read this passage, I want you to think about Jesus Christ, your King, your resurrected King, walking with you, right by your side, in a field somewhere, and pointing these things out to you. To try to increase your faith, by the way. Look at Matthew 6.25. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, yet yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. 
Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? You see how Jesus is talking to you like his child? My son, why aren't you believing me for these things? Look at this, look at this, look at this. Why aren't you believing me, you of little faith? If God's provided for these parts of creation, won't he provide for you who is made in his own image? Verse 31, do not worry then, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Some of you need to ask yourself, are you seeking his kingdom and his righteousness first in your life? Is that your top priority, getting to know him and his plan and his mission and his will for you through his word and his spirit? Well, if you seek his kingdom and his righteousness first, all these things will be added to you. You won't even have to worry about them. And verse 34, So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. One day at a time with the Lord. So we are to work hard in life. We each have our own callings, but we are to work hard we are to do the right things every day, obeying the word. But the one thing we're not to do is to worry. In fact, think about this. If we do work hard and do the right things, shouldn't we worry even less? Knowing that we're obeying his commands, knowing that we're following his way. Shouldn't we worry even less? So just do what he says you to do. Do what he asks of you. Obey the word and watch him come through for you. Watch him provide along the way. The last thing he wants us to do is worry. That's just a sign of our lack of trust in him. On the board, for example, Hebrews 13.5 in the NIV. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you Never will I forsake you. Right along the lines of Matthew chapter 6, isn't it? You of little faith. Keep your lives free from the love of money. And be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. He's saying, step back and see the big picture. I've got your back. I'm right here with you. And my Heavenly Father will provide all these things you need each and every day, one day at a time. In that way, you can have my peace. In that way, I am your peace, Jesus says. I'm with you and in you. Are you going to enjoy the fact that I'm always faithful? So on the board, this came out during the week as peace by peace. And a little pun from the Spirit. We need to go to the Lord one day at a time in humility if we want to enjoy his peace. 
There's no other way. You can't gather up his peace today at this service, at this lesson right now, and say, all right, I'm going to store it all up now, memorize it, and hold it on to it for six days until next Sunday. You can't do it. God didn't design us to live that way. It's a piece by piece that we gather each day one at a time. We need to go to the Lord one day at a time in humility if we want to enjoy His peace. You know, some of us go to Him in arrogance. Some of us go to Him, you know, as a sideshow and say, all right, Lord, I don't know. I don't know what I even want to say right now. Right? Isn't that an attitude of arrogance? Or do we bow down before Him in the morning and say, Lord, I need your help. I need you this day. I need you to help me with today's journey, Lord. You, you promised if I ask you, you answer. Here I am. So the Lord, out of his great love for us, he won't allow us to experience his peace unless we follow him. And that's out of his love. That's the way he designed it. We saw this in John 10, 27 through 30 and Philippians 4, 6 through 7. So the fact is, the Lord is always with us. He's never not with us. He's in us, in fact. Whether we feel him or not does not change the fact that he's with us. It's our choice to have faith in his presence or not. And it's then that trusting his presence will give us peace. Last Sunday, I shared with you from a devotional book called uh, Jesus Calling, and I want to share with you part of May 19th's uh, devotional for the day on the board, Jesus Calling by Sarah Young. Although my presence is a guaranteed promise, that does not necessarily change your feelings. When you forget I'm with you, you may experience loneliness or fear. It's through awareness of my presence that peace displaces negative feelings. Practice the discipline of walking consciously with me through each day. Again, note the need for a daily surrender to the Lord to experience his peace. A daily calling on his presence, you know, claiming his presence. Say, I know you're with me. Help me through this journey today. Show me what you want me to do today. Again, although my presence is a guaranteed promise, that does not necessarily change your feelings. When you forget I'm with you, you may experience loneliness or fear. It's through awareness of my presence that peace displaces negative feelings. Who is our peace? He himself is our peace, right? It's through awareness of my presence, my presence, that peace displaces negative feelings. Practice the discipline of walking consciously with me through each day, i.e., eat your daily bread. To our previous point on the board, again, piece by piece, we need to go to the Lord one day at a time in humility if we want to enjoy his peace. The Lord, out of his great love for us, will not allow us to experience his peace unless we follow him. We also saw this week 
how we are to approach God daily for His grace and mercy. So not only daily do we need the Word in some way, we need that spiritual nutrition, but we're also told to approach His throne of grace boldly. Boldly. So there's a mindset here that only we live in when we claim His peace, when we claim His presence. It's only then that we have the peace enough to go to the throne boldly. And again, that comes from His Word. So I want you to see uh, this passage we went to on Thursday. Go to Hebrews 4, verse 12. And I want you to notice how we have a reminder here that His Word is necessary for us daily and why it's necessary, but also approach that throne of grace for grace and mercy each and every day. These things are, are intertwined. It's a lifestyle. It's a, it's a way to live uh, in wisdom, in God's wisdom. Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Why? He's already purchased our peace for us. He's already established peace between us and God forever since the cross. So now he says, draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Because God looks at you differently now. He sees his son. He sees righteousness if you've trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He is the Word. In John 1.1, Jesus is the Word. And He's also our peace. And He has opened up the floodgates to our God and Father. All because of the cross and the resurrection. So, if you're a believer, peace be with you. That was the declaration he made to the apostles. He's like, guys, you realize it's done? It's finished. Peace be with you. And so he calls us to live in that enjoyment every day. You have been reconciled to God. And as a believer, you've received his reconciliation. On the board, we saw this week about righteousness and peace. And reconciliation means we now have peace with God through His Son. We have this peace because God, by grace, has made us righteous by His blood. Those who believe. Those who believe, those who have repented in their heart, you know, turned away from relying on themselves and said, Lord, I need you to save me. I trust in you as my Lord and Savior. He made you righteous. And so now you're totally reconciled to God. 
you have true peace with God forever and ever. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. So therefore, we might say, peace be with you. We now have a position of peace with God. And this position of peace has purchased for us the opportunity to live by and enjoy his peace each and every day. Enjoy his presence every day. Enjoy the fact that he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Just wake up and turn to him in that way. He's with you. Acknowledge him. Lay it on him. Call out for help to him for that day. That's the only right way to start a day and to enjoy his peace. And this is why after the resurrection and ascension of Christ, even the disciples started to greet each other in his peace. Uh, like Paul often began and, and ended his letters, such as the end of 2 Thessalonians on the board, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 16. Now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. The Lord be with you all. May the Lord of peace himself, whom you have, May he continually, see it's day by day, may he continually grant you peace in every circumstance. What's required to enjoy that peace? Isn't it faith? Isn't it you men of little faith? Stop worrying about these details of life. Seek me first and you'll find me and I'll add all these things to you. So this verse on the board is certainly in the spirit of the Lord's statement to his disciples, peace be with you. It's because looking back at the accomplishments on the cross, we can now scream from the mountaintops, peace. It is finished. It's done. Even that's part of our spreading the gospel. So changing gears a bit, the Spirit's message in this series is also to change your perspective about his peace. Maybe we're not looking at his peace um, as aggressively as we should be. As such a powerful uh, tool that he's granted us. So, for example, look at his peace, the very peace of Christ, as a weapon in your life. As a weapon in your life. It's the very means and power by which you're enabled to live your life and bring him glory. And spread the gospel too. His peace. His peace can enable us to do things that we think we can't do. That we're normally scared of doing. Or worried about. But when we possess his peace and we know he's with us and we claim that. And we say, I'm, you know what? I'm going to try this. Lord, you give me peace to go forward in this area. I never would have done this on my own. But heck, I'm going to try this. Why not? What's the worst that happens? You fail. Trying to bring, bring God glory? Awesome. Remember the disciples celebrating when they were flogged and whipped for his namesake? Wonderful. And we don't have that fear here in this country yet. We can spread the gospel. We have such an opportunity in the, under the freedom of this country that we're not taken advantage of. But his peace is a weapon. His peace can sustain us no matter what. 
no matter what we're asked to go through in this life, no matter what our mission is, our calling is, that we think we can't do, His peace can get us through these things and empower us. One time Jesus said to His disciples on the board in John 4.32, I have food to eat that you do not know about. They offered Him food. Did you eat yet, Lord? It's midday. Did you eat yet? He was talking to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. He's like, I have food to eat you don't know about. I'm good, in other words. I don't need physical food right now. I'm sustained by my Father. I need to be doing this thing right now. My Father is sustaining me. And that very power and peace is available to each and every one of us because He, His Spirit, the Lord Jesus Christ, is in us. I have food to eat you don't know about right now. Jesus had such peace and communion with his heavenly Father that his Father sustained him and gave him power each and every day despite a lack of physical food at times. Like the 40 days in the desert when he was tempted by the devil. And you complain about your life. How would you like to be tempted by the devil for 40 days without food? Some of you would be hangry in three hours, right? Three hours in the desert. Lord, I quit. (laughs) Give me some manna from heaven. Jesus had such peace. He was able to go through those things without food. and be like, I'm good. Because he had communion with the Father that he wants us to have. Philippians 4, 7. We went through this all week long. The peace that surpasses all comprehension. What does that mean? All human comprehension. Human comprehension says, I need food today, every day. But if you have his peace that surpasses comprehension, no, you don't. And you won't even be hungry because he'll sustain you. You see this place that the Spirit is taking us to, to believe in, that it's even possible to believe that he's with you in this way, to believe that you can have this peace despite any circumstances. It's supernatural. So this is what the Spirit wants us to see and believe. We don't need worldly sustenance or worldly peace. You and I can have His supernatural peace when we follow Him with a sincere heart, period. On the board, His peace sustains us. By faith, we can transcend the details in this world and have his peace sustain us in any circumstance. That's just the truth. John 4.32, Philippians 4.7. By faith, we can transcend the details in this world and have his peace sustain us in any circumstance. But you know what this takes? This takes time alone with him. This takes you surrendering to him every day even if it's just a few minutes in the morning or a few minutes in in the Word. It takes that. Because without asking Him for the peace and the strength, you're not going to be able to transcend the details of life. You're not going to be able to look beyond all this temporary stuff. And remember, it's temporary. And remember, you're just a pilgrim passing through in this world. If you're a pilgrim passing through in this world, If your life is a vapor and a mist, 
here one day and go on the next. Then why are you worried about worldly stuff? Right? Makes it sound silly, doesn't it? Awesome. Because, you know, we're trapped. We, we get sucked into the world, the, the system, the media, the this and that. Why? Because we don't eat our daily bread. Ultimately, that's what it comes down to. We're not humble enough to go to him in the morning and say, I need you. So this is one way that his peace is a weapon for us, if we'll use it. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Before we go more into God's peace as a spiritual weapon in our lives, the Spirit wants us to build our foundation on reconciliation. So look at 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. On the board, regarding 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21, the Greek words for reconciled or reconciliation mean to change mutually or to exchange. To change mutually or to exchange. What do these two definitions have in common? To do either of those things, there's at least two parties involved. To change mutually or to exchange. There are two parties involved in reconciliation or in coming to a peace treaty. So on the board regarding reconciliation, our Lord paid our price for sin and extended the olive branch to mankind, despite our guilt and, sin and unworthiness or sinfulness. Romans 5.10, for example. Man's part in reconciliation is repentance and faith in Christ. He must turn in his heart from sin and self and accept the offer of peace from his Maker and Savior. Two parties involved in any agreement, in any peace treaty, let's say such as Acts 20, 21, that's where we see man's role in accepting the offer of peace. If the terms of a peace treaty are not accepted by one party, even though the offer is made, there's no peace between the two parties. Think of a father and, and son relationship, right? If the father says, son, you've done wrong, but I forgive you. Do you understand? Do you agree with me? That's what confess means. Do you agree with me you've done wrong? 
are you repentant and you're going to receive my forgiveness? And the five-year-old says, no. Right? Well, guess what? At that time, they don't have peace in that relationship. All right, go to your room until you're ready to repent. It's the same thing. Once, once we do that once and for all, we're saved by grace, thank God, because we still become that stubborn child in and out, right? But that's the fact of the matter. There's no peace unless two parties agree to the terms of the agreement. And the offer of God, to be clear, is complete and total peace by Christ's atoning blood. Let's be clear about that. God's not holding back at all from that true offer of peace. In fact, he followed through on the cross and shed his blood so it's secured. The only question is, will man accept God's offer of peace on the board? And keep the big picture in mind as we go through these things, okay? Because peace is our weapon. As we're going to see, peace also helps us spread the gospel. And it's called the gospel of peace. So as we have a ministry of reconciliation, which you just read about in 2 Corinthians 5, he's given us a ministry of reconciliation. Once we've received his reconciliation in humility, we're on the other team now. We're ambassadors for Christ now. And he says, carry the torch of reconciliation. Carry it on. You've seen the light. You've received it. Now carry it on. Spread my peace. So these are things we need to know and understand if we're going to be good ambassadors. On the board, regarding reconciliation, man's pride is really the only thing that stands in the way of God's wonderful offer of peace from being consummated. It really is the only thing standing in the way, like that little child that says, no, I'm not going to agree with you that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. Just read Romans 1 if you don't think man's pride is the problem. Each man and woman must come to their own decision to either reject God's offer in pride or accept it gratefully in humility. He must be willing to say, I'm a sinner and I can't do this myself. Remember repentance is turning from sin and self. If you say I'm a sinner but I can do this myself, you've got a problem. Right? You need to agree wholeheartedly with God about his opinion of you. That you are guilty. You have offended God. You, you need to accept his peace offering. Right? So I am a sinner. I have sin. And I turn from myself. I can't do this myself. Again on the board. Our Lord paid our price for sin and extended the olive branch to mankind despite our guilt and unworthiness, Romans 5.10. Man's part is repentance and faith in Christ. He must turn in his heart from sin and self and accept the offer of peace from his Maker and Savior, Acts 20.21. That's why Paul begs us in first, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, we just read, that's why Paul begs us on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. He's like, this is your only way. He is your only hope. He is your only chance of peace with God. And so we pass on that message. What a wonderful message to pass on. Some of us are worried about or nervous about sharing the gospel with somebody. You have the good news. You get to tell somebody 
that they can have full, total peace with God forever and ever. Regardless of your hang-ups about God, regardless of if you wonder if there's a God, regardless of if you think he'll ever forgive you, here's the good news. You can have complete and total peace with God, like I do right now. Not because of me, because of Christ. How is that difficult or nerve-wracking? Don't we just get in our own way? And guess what? If someone says no to you, you shouldn't be worried about them saying no to you. That's their problem. God will handle them. God has to convict them. You move on with joy because you got flogged, so to speak, by those who didn't receive the message. But hey, you did your job. So God has done everything necessary for true and total peace with him forever. And the ball is thrown into man's court and he has this life on earth to make his own decision and then the judgment. Hebrews 9, 27 and 28. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once and after this comes judgment, so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. As we also read in Hebrews chapter 9, last Sunday, the animal sacrifices were commanded of the Old Testament Jews as a temporary covering for their sin. And these were shadows of the things to come in Jesus Christ as the final sacrifice. So those who obeyed those commands in the Old Testament before Christ came, they were given peace with God. They accepted God's way of peace. Again, he's the offended party, right? They accepted God, God's way of peace. You accept this is my way? You accept it needs to be bloodshed? You accept that my, my Messiah is going to come and do it once for all one day? You have peace with me. The Old Testament sacrifices were pictures of God's salvation through Jesus Christ. So on the board... Regarding God's provision of salvation, the whole idea was that God was offering peace to sinful mankind and blood had to be shed as a payment for sin. And by grace through faith, man could accept God's offer of peace on God's terms only, he being the innocent or offended party. You can't get to heaven your way. You're the guilty party. Only the one who's innocent can offer you peace. You know, in other words, the ball's in his court now. You offended him. So God says, here's my plan, folks. Accept my way, my offer of peace. Let's see more on this reconciliation with God as we close. I'll go to Romans 5, verse 1. Romans 5, 1. So this is our foundation, folks, as ambassadors for Christ. Learning these things and how they work in God's mind is what establishes us to be solid and, and have the right message and to possess his peace, but also to spread his peace. Romans 5.1 Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Look at Romans 5, 9. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. We've received the peace offering. On the board regarding receiving reconciliation. When we witness to people, whether it's friends, co-workers, family members, strangers at times, when we witness to people, we're actually encouraging them to accept God's offer of peace and total forgiveness through Christ. What, a, what an awesome job, huh? What a great calling. We believers now have already received his reconciliation personally. And so now we're asking others to receive it. You know, just relate to people. Hey, I received it. You know, I thought, I thought you know, there wasn't a God either. Or I thought, you know, God would never forgive me either. But I received it. The peace he offered, you can too. It's so simple. So Jesus said when he started his ministry, repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. Forget all the other stuff. Forget your hang-ups, forget religion. Repent and believe the good news. We're saying receive his reconciliation. Receive his offer of peace. But as always, God honors free will in God's system. Turn to Colossians 1, verse 19. Colossians 1, 19. I hope you see how you can be armed with this peace. This is one of your greatest weapons in spreading the gospel. Colossians 1.19 For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross. Through Him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. He reconciled you in his fleshly body through death. Because it is finished, right? Peace be with you. Go to Colossians 3, verse 12. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, 
Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. In other words, stop it. Come on, people. Some of you are, are holding on to things past and people that hurt you. Come on. Look at verse 13. Bearing with one another, forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. In other words, he offered you the sinner peace. No strings attached. Peace. We're, we're good. He offered you that peace. You're a sinner. How can you not offer peace to your fellow sinner that sinned against you? And it starts in your own heart, right? Verse 14, beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Here's a passage to memorize. I mean, the audacity we have to get in the way of peace when we've been forgiven so much, right? Again, verse 14. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let it. Stop getting in the way. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. To which indeed you are called to one body. And be thankful. Period. Sounds like Philippians 4 to me. Which we've gone to a lot this week. So forgiveness is really an offer of peace from an offended party, if you think about it. It's the one who's not guilty who's offering peace to the guilty. And in this way, we can all imitate God because that's exactly what he did for each of us. When we spread the gospel, someone spits in our face, literally or figuratively, we can forgive them. We can imitate God in that way and offer them peace. That's what the Lord came for. And that's what he instructed the apostles to do as part of spreading the Great Commission. Peace and forgiveness. Go out and spread it. So let's, on that note, look at what the Lord said to the apostles another time before the resurrection. Go to Luke 24, verse 44. Luke 24, 44. Isn't that the message? Isn't that like the good news, peace and forgiveness with God? Like in total? Luke 24, 44. This is after the resurrection. Now he said to them, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. Talking about the Holy Spirit. 
I will prepare you. Does that sound familiar? How we prepare the apostles by grace? So again, verse 47, that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. What did he tell them to go preach once prepared? Really peace with God. Forgiveness. To tell people to repent, to receive his offer of forgiveness of sins through Christ. That is the ministry of reconciliation. Turn to Acts 10, verse 34. Acts 10, 34. What is our message as ambassadors for Christ? What is this ministry of reconciliation that we've received and we're now told to uh, pass on? Acts 10, 34, opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. But in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. There we see our role as ambassadors of Christ, who've been given this ministry of reconciliation. We as believers have received his reconciliation, and now, very simply, it's our job to help others receive it. It's our job to carry on his peace. And once again, two parties are required for it to be consummated in a person's life. Go to Acts 13, verse 38. Excuse me. Acts 13, 38. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things, from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. Therefore, take heed, so that the things spoken of in the prophets may not come upon you, Behold, you scoffers, and marvel and perish, for I am accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you will never believe, though someone should describe it to you. In other words, Peter was saying here, don't be one of those people that reject God's offer of eternal peace. It's right there for the taking, forgiveness of sins, freedom. He says, don't be one of those scoffers that the prophets told us about. So that really is our job. As we go out, as commanded in Matthew 28, the Lord equips us with his peace, just like he equipped the apostles 2,000 years ago. Remember our Lord's statement that we began this series with on the board in John 20, 21. So Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Spread the message of peace. It's really so simple. But first you have to receive his peace, 
and you have to wake up in the morning and claim his peace, his presence, tell him you need him, and that gives you the very strength, the very peace to walk with that sustains you and can be shown to others without worry and fear. So we'll close with this point on the board regarding perspective on his peace. His peace is a spiritual weapon of great import. He designed it that way. So his plan cannot be fulfilled by our own will or power, but by standing in his peace. Ephesians 6. <clears throat> Again, so the Spirit's asking us to change our perspective a little bit. This is not just for you either. It's for others. His peace is a spiritual weapon of great import. He designed it that way. So his plan cannot be fulfilled by our own will or power, but by standing in his peace. Turn in Ephesians 6 as we close. <coughs> Excuse me. Ephesians 6. Some of you are saying, are you ever going to close? <laughs> yes. But <laughs> the Spirit wants to leave you with the right thing. <laughs> so just look at Ephesians 6, uh, verse 13. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I'll leave you on that note, folks. Just think about that. I'm really going to leave you this time, though. <laughs> Just think about that statement. Dwell on it. Dwell on it. As we finish up this lesson on Tuesday, verse 15, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. His peace is a weapon, folks, for our daily sustenance, but also for the Great Commission. Pretty awesome. He didn't leave us high and dry. We've got every tool we need, and it's all to be done in the power of his peace. So we'll continue with this on Tuesday evening. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Your provisions are wonderful and they're true and they're sufficient. And we thank you that you have your way, the way of truth that we can find. We ask, Father, that you help us put ourselves aside and our own ideas and our own self-sufficiency. Put those things aside, Father, and help us cling to you each and every day by your word and your spirit. Father, if anyone is listening to my voice right now who's never turned to Christ in humility, I ask that you convict them of the need to repent, to admit they are a sinner and they can't save themselves, and help them turn to you, help them turn to your son, Jesus Christ, as the way, as their Lord and their Savior. Father, we are eternally grateful for all 
you allowed your son to do on the cross for us and for his resurrection from the dead so that we could live forever and ever with you in peace. Please bless us all as we go. Give us traveling mercies and bless our pastor and Joey on their return as well. It's in Christ's precious name we pray by the power of your spirit. Amen. Thank you.